He is the Son of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God of light, by the power of your Holy Spirit, restore our sight that in these words of scripture and sermon we may see Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Former President George H.W. Bush, the elder Bush, was speaking to a an appreciative audience some years back. It was the time immediately after him leaving office. He explained what it was like from going, from being vice president for eight years and president for four years to being a private citizen. The first day I woke up, he said, I reached over to push the button to get somebody to bring me some coffee. There was no button. And there was nobody to bring my coffee. Then he added, Barbara said, get out of bed and make your own coffee. That would be quite a shock. One moment you're the leader of the free world, the next you're an average everyday citizen. That's the beauty of democracy. We spread the privilege of serving. This morning our theme is leadership authority. I always liked Charles Schultz's Peanuts. And there was a comic strip in one of the papers I had looked at. And Linus is upset over the news that one of his favorite teachers at school was about to be fired. He turns to Lucy and says, they can't fire Miss Othmar. I'll write a letter of protest. I'll blow this thing wide open. I'll write to someone in authority, someone who can do something. Well, Linus composes himself for a moment and he prepares to set his pen to paper it's obvious, very obvious, he doesn't know anyone of authority. Finally, he asks Lucy, how does one go about getting a letter to the Apostle Paul? Well, the Apostle Paul did have a certain kind of authority. Think how closely we study his words in church today. There was a time, however, when he had a, a different kind of authority, an authority that sent chills up and down the, the backs of Christians. As you well know, before his conversion, Paul had the name Saul. And he was a man to be feared, especially if you were a Christian. Saul seemed to take delight in persecuting the followers of Jesus. That was because of his fierce devotion to the faith in which he was nurtured. Saul was Jewish. He called himself a Hebrew among Hebrews. 
so fervent in the faith and traditions of his own people that he stood by and watched over the cloaks of the mob that dragged Stephen off and stoned him to death. Stephen's crime? Preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Later on, Saul had risen to such prominence and respect with his own people that he could go see the high priests of the Sanhedrin and receive from them letters that gave him the authority to persecute and arrest any Christians he came across. Saul was a big, self-righteous man with big, ambitious plans. He probably felt very special, very important as he, he rode along tall in the saddle on the way to Damascus. Luke, the author of our lesson from the book of Acts, describes the situation like this. As Saul neared Damascus, suddenly a light flashed from heaven. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the voice replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there, speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see a thing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. Suddenly Saul didn't seem that big and fearsome, did he? Eh, that, that can happen in life, can't it? A pastor writing on the internet tells about a man he knew. A very proud man. He was well off financially. He had an attractive young wife, a good job, and he, they lived at the beach and they had all the amenities. He came to church sometimes and was always friendly and supportive. Well, one day this man read in the newspaper that one of his sons was sought for committing murder. The man talked to his pastor, at first convinced that his son didn't do it. As the years went on, the son went to trial and was convicted and sentenced to life in prison without parole. The father continued to support him, always convinced of his son's innocence. The father didn't want his son to be alone at the other end of the country, so he found a church of his denomination near the prison, and the church folks began to minister to his son. When the father visited the son, he attended that church himself. He said to the pastor that nothing had ever humbled him like the shame of having a son in prison, and at the same time, finding more love from God than he had ever known. Saul could have related to that father. 
He had been riding high. Now he was brought low. Luke tells us, for three days Saul was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. But then Saul experienced the love of God. This love came through an ordinary Christian disciple living in Damascus named Ananias. This is the only time this particular Ananias is mentioned in Scripture except a little later on when the Apostle Paul is giving his testimony. And he describes Ananias as a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living in Damascus. Other than that, we don't know much. But the little we know of him is sufficient. Ananias didn't need Paul's impressive credentials or connections to to be used by God. As Saul lay blind and helpless, Ananias had a vision in which the Lord called to him, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. That's always the response of faith. Yes, Lord, right? And the Lord talks to you. Yes, Lord, I, I got it. Well, the Lord told Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Evidently being stricken as As he was humbled, Saul to the point that he was calling to God for help. The Lord continues with his instructions. In a vision, Saul has been seen, a man has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man, all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Then Ananias, probably quite reluctantly, went to the house where Paul was staying. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you are coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized into the very faith he had set out to destroy, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Then Luke adds these very descriptive words. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe you will agree that was quite a transformation. 
Saul could sing quite literally. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. So Saul, the ambitious man with big plans, has an experience that brings him to his knees. And he realizes that his whole life has been one big mistake. And through the touch of an ordinary man named Ananias, Saul's life is radically changed. And he becomes an apostle of Jesus, whose followers he had been persecuting. Do such things happen to people in the real world? That kind of radical change? Sometimes. Some of you might remember a name, Eldridge Cleaver. At one time, Eldridge Cleaver was the much maligned leader of the Black Panthers, the violent militants of uh, the early 1960s. But something significant happened in Eldridge Cleaver's life. Pastor Ray Stedman tells of a conversation he had with Cleaver some time back. In that conversation, Cleaver gave one example from his former life. He said that while he, a Black Panther, he, when he was a Black Panther, he was filled with a, a terrible, terrible feeling of hatred and violence against any form of law enforcement. He couldn't help himself. Every time he would get near an officer of the law, he would feel this terrible sense of anger and murder and rage within him. He couldn't help himself. But one night in the south of France, on a balcony overlooking the Mediterranean Sea, Cleaver had a vision. An inner view, if you will, of the face of Jesus Christ coming out of his boyhood to him. He drew, it drove him to reading the scriptures. He read Psalm 23, David's psalm, over and over and over again. He said that ever since that time on the balcony, he'd never had the feeling of hatred again. He has looked for it, and he's really expected it, but instead, there's been a feeling of love for everyone he meets. Again, transformation. Even though we could never mention Eldridge Cleaver's name in the same company spiritually with the Apostle Paul. Nevertheless, their experience of Christ shared some similarities. Both were delivered from the feelings of hatred to feelings of love and acceptance by their experience of the risen Christ. Here's what I find fascinating, however. Sometime after his experience in Damascus, Saul changes his name to Paul. What's fascinating about that? Saul, the Hebrew name, means 
asked for, prayed for. You'll remember that the people of ancient Israel asked God for a king. Remember that story? God gave them a king. Does anyone remember his name? Saul. His name was Saul. Saul was asked for, prayed for by the people of Israel. Undoubtedly, this New Testament Saul was named by his parents after this first king of Israel, since they both were of the tribe of Benjamin. There was just one thing wrong with King Saul. He was a big disappointment, according to what we read. He was driven by his ego, and he became, a des- became desperate to maintain his position Finally, driven mad in his determination to destroy young David, who you'll remember was becoming more popular than he was. Maybe Saul's name was part of the problem, asked for, prayed for. Such a name has to to make you feel important. The New Testament Saul Like his namesake, the former king of Israel, was a man who became haughty in his power, enforcing Jewish law, and had to be brought low. So Saul either chose or was given a new name, Paul. Now here's what's fascinating. Paul is a Latin name, and it means Small, or little, or insignificant. Well, it's intriguing to me that the apostle chose to identify himself in this way. This once big man identifies himself after his conversion as small. You know, it happens sometimes in sports, especially in football. If you see some of those big linemen, you know, they, uh, you might have a big guy that's 350 pounds, and uh, he's known by his teammates as Tiny. I know a fellow, uh, I like to go to the Ace Hardware store over here in Weston when I need things, and there's a fellow that works in customer service, and his name is Tiny. He's about that tall. But it happened, it doesn't happen often, but, and I believe it's significant in Paul's situation. He wanted people to know he wasn't the same man he had been. In fact, later, Paul may have been making a pun on his name, meaning small, when he refers to himself as the least of the apostles. Sometimes, as adults, even Christian adults, who are also parents or bosses or leaders in our churches or communities, we can let a little bit of authority or power or success go to our heads. We may think because we're used to making decisions that we're somehow in charge of our lives, running things. 
And we may forget that every job we do, every dollar we earn, indeed every step we take and every breath we draw is all by the grace of God. A person may be anointed and commissioned to do a task for God, but if he or she ever forgets that it's God who empowers us and God to whom we should look to direct our steps, we run the risk of getting far off track. Saul thought he knew what he was doing. He believed he was serving the God of Israel by carrying out his own hate-filled agenda. Saul thought he knew everything he needed to know about God. He had no idea that God had revealed so much more through Jesus of Nazareth. Saul thought he had power and authority, but God took away his, author his autonomy and his independence. God literally knocked him off his horse and blinded him in order that he might see more than he had ever seen before. Saul was brought low, forced to recognize not only the true Jesus, but also the truth about his own actions. Instead of serving God, he was persecuting God's only son. And now, upon realizing that Jesus is Lord, the one with true power and authority over everything, Saul was humbled to the point that he could become a magnificent ambassador for God. Saul had a reputation, but he received a revelation. A revelation about himself and a revelation of God in Christ Jesus. From this day forward, he would subject his reputation and his authority to the will and glory of Jesus. The converted Saul, who once thought he had it all figured out, now uses himself as an unimportant and weak vessel and a mere slave to all important and an all important and all powerful Lord. And the same thing can be true of us. Until we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ, each of us finds ourselves traveling a dangerous and difficult road. Up until we yield ourselves to God's leadership, we live our lives puffed up and inflated. We have this inflated sense of our own authority or power and warped by our own selfishness and self-importance. Even though we may believe we mean well or see ourselves and as, as good people, until we enter into a living relationship with Jesus, until the Lord introduces himself self to us and enters into to live in love through us, then we're like Saul. We might think we're doing well, but sober reflection will reveal that our lives are empty. Lee Strobel 
once knew that emptiness. Lee was a very successful journalist by his own account, but he wasn't a happy man. He describes himself at that stage in his life as profane and angry. That is an interesting description. To prove his point, he cites a time when he came home from work one night and he kicked a hole in the living room wall. And just, it was all out of anger. Can you imagine the impression he made on his five-year-old daughter that was sitting in that room at the time? But Jesus came into Lee Strobel's life and changed his life radically. He says that five months after he gave his life to Christ, his little girl went to her mother and said, Mommy, I want God to do for me what he's done for Daddy. I want God to do for me what he's done for Daddy. It's hard to argue with a testimony like that. Strobel says that God changed not only him, God changed his family and changed his world. And today, Lee Strobel is a well-known author and pastor. Can you give that kind of testimony? Saul was a big man with big plans, but he was an angry man who took out his anger on others. Jesus humbled Saul and gave him a new name, Paul. A name that means small. Ironically, after becoming small, after becoming the, the least of the apostles, Paul became the second most influential man who ever lived after Jesus himself. Friends, God can use us too if we will humble ourselves and believe the gospel. Let us pray. Living Lord, you meet us in unexpected places and surprise us with the abundance of your love. Feed us by your word and fill us with your spirit so that we may follow you this day and always. Through Jesus, your son, our savior. Amen. Let us stand and sing.